Hello, and welcome to Leather Talk with Mr. Bullet Leather 2020. I'm your host, Brandon. Today, we continue the legacy that is Mr. Chicago Leather. Our next guest is a born and raised Chicago City native. He's a proud associate member of Onyx Chicago Midwest, a full member of the Titans of the Midwest, and has recently been awarded as the very first recipient of Leather 6410's Kurt Allen Award for Outstanding Community Service. Get ready for some more Leather Talk. everybody, this is Brandon, your Mr. Bullet Leather 2020, and today we have Daddy G. Daddy G, would you mind uh, introducing yourself, please? Good morning, afternoon, wherever part of the country you're in. Uh, Daddy G here, uh, Mr. Chicago Leather 2017, hailing from the great state of Illinois. I am 43 years old, uh, gay. Awesome. So how long have you been in the leather community, you said? Uh, about 13 years, I would say now. Okay, yeah. okay. cool. Well, I mean, uh, right before our le- our um, interview, as I do, I've done the, the Facebook stalking ceremony <laughs> where I go around and fa- I see you were involved with so many things and I want to get to that, but I do want to know first how you first came into the scene. How did you even discover leather and what was that like? Well, So I'm 43 now. Uh, When I was 21, going back a number of years, I started kind of seeing this person who was very kinky, very much into leather and and latex. And um, he introduced me to Cell Block, which is uh, here in Chicago. And back then, they used to have a very vibrant fetish scene there at the bar and a very strict code to get in the back room. So one day he took me, uh, or one evening he took me there, and and I tried to get into the, the back room and couldn't because I didn't. The only thing I had, leather, was probably my belt. <laughs> and so I said, you know what? I want to get back there. I want to see what this is all about. So they luckily they had a little store there called Nail Hide Leather. Um, they were selling just like, it was like just a little cutout in the bar, basic things like harnesses and bar vests and stuff like that. And so I bought my very first bar vest there and uh, put that on and got into the back room. Uh, and while I was dating him, I, w- I was actively kind of going out and experiencing the bars here in Chicago. And then when we separated, probably about a year later, I kind of let it fall to the side because people that I was dating at various points throughout my life weren't really into the scene. So I just kind of let that side of me die down and just kind of dealt with it. And um, thankfully, you know, I, I started volunteering again and, you know, volunteering at IML. I was this little preppy boy um, back <laughs> in uh, the early 2000s, um, you know, working on the IML bus shuttles and, uh, you know, with my puffer vest and my occasional leather bar vest that I would put on. But uh so yeah, I would say probably back when I was 21, uh, you know, and then I kind of let it fall to the to the wayside a little bit, and then and then picked it back up about about 14 years ago or so, and and then I, I wouldn't say that I was really 
involved, you know, kind of frontline, um, more kind of behind the scenes and just kind of showing up to things and having fun and stuff like that. But uh, um, it wasn't until probably about, I think about five or six years ago that I really stepped into the light and started volunteering more and, you know, taking on roles that would put me kind of front and center. Awesome. So you you mentioned that you, you got into it because of a partner. Did you know that he was into all of this before you started dating him? No, no I didn't. <laughs> so, I, I did not. No. So I, I uh, showed up at his house one night to, uh, you know, have whatever the version of Netflix and chill was back then. Right. Um, minus the Netflix. Uh, I showed up and he had all these things in his bedroom and I was like, wow. And unfortunately, that's also the time I found out that he was a strict top, and I am also a strict top. And so, obviously, that's probably why the relationship didn't work very well. But um, <laughs> anyway, uh, but yeah, so I went into his room, and he's like had all these things like restraints and and vloggers and whips and, and like um, were they hidden or were they just out there for no, everyone they were, to see? They were just out. They were just out in his bedroom, you know. So I was really, uh, it, you know, I was like, oh, this is kind of cool, but also kind of scary. <laughs> I hope I walk out of here, you know. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> but uh, it, uh, yeah. So, did you guys do anything kinky together before you went out to the bars, or was that your first experience when you got uh, out? No, that was kind of my first experience. I mean, we did because he knew that you know I I, I was not really first uh, you know in in any of the the kinks or anything like that. So I I think he kind of kept that off to the side, but, uh, you know, going, going to cell block for my first time and, and getting into that back room. It's so funny when people ask me what my, my first experience was. And I tell them about, about that experience and the fact that I went back there and it was just packed from just wall to wall with men. And, you know, there was sex here and sex there and making out and this and that. And I was just like, I was, you know, beside myself, I was like in awe. So that night I ended up walking out of there I want to say it's been a long time now, but I want to say maybe like five or six hickeys like throughout my neck and oh like my God. upper torso. I'm not quite sure how those happened because uh, I was pretty inebriated, but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So so needless to say, uh, I spent a, a few weeks wearing a turtleneck, you know, trying to hide that. But uh, <laughs> at that time, I worked at a bank as a teller, um, and so you know, I could just only imagine working at a, at a bank in the suburbs with, you know, all these hickeys all over my neck. But um, it was a fun experience and, and something that will stick with me forever. So That's really cool. It's so funny. Uh, do they still have those, that kind of policy where you go into certain bars or certain areas and you have to wear a piece of leather to get in? Yeah, um, sometimes. Uh, uh, Touche does have gear-specific uh, nights where you have to have some type of gear on in order to get into the club room. Um, Cell Block also has those types of nights. Um, I can say, though, at Cell Block, those nights are called code nights. And it's nice because members of the community bring extra pieces. The organizers and their friends bring extra pieces of gear so that if you don't have something, you can borrow it. They take your ID or whatever. And you can get into the back and experience it and then hope that you go out and buy your own gear eventually so that you can join the fun later again. I think that's also a really great way to get people involved who, who haven't or just kind of want a taste of it just to see what it's like. Um, mm-hmm. I don't, I, I might be wrong, but I've never been to an event at a bar here in, in Los Angeles where there's a strict 
dress code. And I think that the attitude towards it here is, well, we don't want to say no to anybody, but I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to having a special night where that's that's publicized saying like, look, you have to come in here with a certain dress code. This is for people who want to get into the leather scene. This is for people who are in the leather scene and, you know, <clears throat> be prepared like this is the dress code. Because I go to straight bars where I, I've been rejected before for wearing shorts, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> so it's not, it's not an unheard of concept, you know. Sure. Um, but I, I can see like having a, a buddy come with you and who's maybe nervous and doesn't have his leather and doesn't want to go out and spend, you know, two, three, four hundred dollars on a vest just to get into the bar to try it out. Right. Right. And and that's why I think, too, like, you know, I, I, I definitely wish that um, Touche would probably, you know, uh, offer that uh as an option too for some of its nights, because I think it would definitely entice a lot more people. Um, Touche is right next door to one of our, our um, leather stores, Leather 6410. So there's an, there's an option to be able to go, but not everybody goes out for a night and then wants to get into a, the back play area and wants to go spend, you know, $150 on a harness or something like that, you know, just to go play. You know, you can go to Steamworks and spend 15 yeah, yeah, that's that's right. Well, okay, let's move into a little bit more of your experiences. So you said you've been in the community for 13 years. We already know kind of how you got into it. Are you still living in Chicago? Yep, yeah, born and raised, um, actually born and raised in the city, not in the suburbs. Um, the thing you ask a lot of Chicagoans is like, oh, are you from Chicago? Oh, yeah, I was born there. Oh, Oh, okay, great. What part of the city? Naperville. No, that's not <laughs> that's not Chicago, but okay. But yes, I was born and raised um, here in uh, Chicago metro area and uh, I've never left. Um, it's always been a goal of mine, uh, a dream of mine to maybe leave one day uh, to go experience something different. Um, my hope is maybe uh, I really, really love San Diego. Um, for some reason, uh, the three or four times that I've visited there, it just always stuck with me. It seems like a place that I could live. I maybe it's just the uh, you know mostly sunny mid seventies all year round kind of thing. <laughs> uh, being stuck in the Midwest and, and freezing in the winter time is, as I get older, it's not uh, <laughs> it's not fun anymore. You'll have but. to uh, you'll have to go back and listen to um, I think it's episode nine with Angel Leather Lover. He he talks about. Uh, Sandy, he lives in San Diego, and I, I've had some great experiences there. Um, like really quick, there was there was one experience when I first got there. It was like I got there at like I don't know eleven o'clock at night. My friend and I and, and my partner we went out for drinks, and we went out to the beach and we're like, oh, let's just look at the moonlight. And I'm like, God, oh, the weather's perfect. I wish we could get in, but we don't have any like trunks or anything. And a whole group of people, like men and women, they all just like took stripped down butt naked and just ran in and we're like woohoo and i'm like Uh all right like fucking san diego like let's do it (laughs) (laughs) so funny but yeah no i san diego um i have a lot of friends in san francisco you know i have a lot of friends in la um probably have more friends in california than i have anywhere else but yeah i just enjoy it there um i know san francisco is just crazy expensive um i haven't really looked at what apartments cost in LA, but I would assume that it's fairly close 
Yeah, I mean, it's close, but it's not. Um, I feel like in San Francisco, you, you have to be like either come from money or have a tech job to afford living there. At least in L.A., it's so spread out that mm-hmm. you can find a lot of little pockets of, of apartments that are really cute, but still affordable. Sure. I have a few friends that live there that have like three or four roommates too. So I guess that's probably the way to be able to afford it or at least a larger space anyway. Yeah. Yeah. We have, we have a lot of larger spaces, especially like in downtown LA and stuff like that. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, so does your family, are you out to your family and what's the dynamic there? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, My mom uh, lives out in the suburbs of Chicago. um, So I go out and visit her every now and then, but, uh, but yeah, I came out to them, uh, to my mom and my stepdad when I was 18. Um, You know, my, my stepdad is, you know, this big, Harley guy, you know, was a part of a, a biker gang when he was younger. So, you know, if anything, I was probably be, probably more afraid to to tell him that I was gay at eighteen. Um, yeah. uh, whereas my mom, you know, you know, whatever she's, I, I knew that she would accept me. <clears throat> but when I came out, um, you know, his his response was, "Yeah, so I knew from a long time ago." Tell me something I don't know. I'm like, oh, okay, great. <laughs> you know, so it's like a huge, a huge relief. You know, you have um, such cool parents. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my mom is. My mom actually came out to watch me compete at uh, Mr. Leather sixty four ten when I. That was the first contest that I ran uh, as a contestant for. Um, and she came out. My younger brother came out. Um, my younger brother's girlfriend. You know, so and a cousin came. So it was kind of, it was really fun to, uh, to have them there and to have them experience that, you know. Wow. uh, I I can't even imagine bringing my mom into a leather kink space. Um, Mm -hmm. she would honestly probably die. (laughs) (laughs) I have, I have an off topic, uh, funny story. It's not pertaining to me. It's pertaining to my partner. Um, who, uh, so, Jeff uh, is uh, was uh, Mr. Midwest Rubber um, a few years ago. He also went on to win Mr. International Rubber. He was MIR 19. Um, and so when he first started, he competed for Mr. Midwest Rubber. And his mom and dad, who are also very cool hippies, you know, old hippies, uh, <laughs> you know, they're like, yeah, I want, I want to come and support you and watch it. And we're like, okay. And um, his his parents came in, and he's up there doing his thing. And um, my assignment was to look after his his mom and dad. And um, his mom's sitting there on a bar stool, just like watching him do all these things. And and touche, you know, a lot of their TVs are filled with porn. You know, right. one side might be fisting, the other side might be piss play or something like yeah, that. that. So, that's the other thing. It's it's like fetish porn. It's not just like vanilla sex. Porn. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like you know this guy with his you know you know arm all the way up some guy's ass or something like that. But um, so she's sitting there. And so at the end of the night, you know, he won and everything and, and they congratulated him. We took some pictures and uh, they were getting ready to leave. And his mom is like, well, this has been a really interesting night. She's like, I, I wasn't quite sure where to look. You know, I was looking at my son who was, you know, using these, these items in a bag to like make a sex scene out of like chocolate syrup and mustard and, 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 to the right was this guy getting peed on, and to the left was some guy had his forearm, you know, in in, in, in his <laughs> anus. And so she's like, I, "I really didn't know where to look, but uh, it was it was really entertaining and probably a night I will never forget." 
So <laughs> <laughs> I love that, like totally objective view. <laughs> right. And so ever since then, I mean, Jeff's dad, you know, comes to IML every year, you know, walks through the vendor mart. Um, he now owns like more leather than Jeff does. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and they're just super, super supportive. And his mom drives his dad to IML and drops him off at the front of the hotel so that he can go inside and explore. So, wow, I could only, <laughs> I could only imagine. <laughs> oh my gosh, no, it's so funny because, like, if I opened up a little bit to my parents, my 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 mother would would just she would win. So it, it's part of me likes it because it's just so funny. Um, but the, uh, you know, the other part of me, you know, there's a little bit of uh, well, I'm saying that lightly. There's a little bit of homophobia there, but. Uh-huh. But it's just so funny because, like, I'll just mention, like, little details will just come out, you know, oh, I was at the bullet bar the other day and blah, 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 this happened. And she's like, oh, my God, like, that's that's not okay. And I'm like, oh, I forgot my audience here. <laughs> uh, scale it back a little bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> not so graphic. Um, but, yeah. So, and, uh, and, and it's funny. I didn't, have you been to IML before? No, no, this no, year okay. w- w- would have been my year to just dive straight into everything. Mm-hmm. And um, I know IML is, they're planning on doing it later this year. And I don't sure. know if I am feel comfortable yet going to a, a space like that. Um, <clears throat> so I, it'll probably have to be a next year thing. Sure. It's a great, it's a great experience. And, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely a, a sight to see if you've never experienced it. Um yeah, I, I, it took me, I think, a, a lot of um, just a personal journey, like inwards wise, to feel comfortable with going to a place like that and, you know, being ready to experience everything that I want to experience. Sure. But yeah, we, we can talk about that another time. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, of course. Right. So I want to talk about your title. You, you are currently Mr. Chicago 2017. Is that correct? correct? Mm-hmm. And do you have any other titles prior to that? No. Nope. Okay. Uh, like I said, I ran for uh, Mr. Leather 6410 uh, prior to that, um, and I, I uh, came in first runner-up. And um, and so I'm not quite sure why that, that title spoke to me at that particular moment in time. I just, I think maybe if I would have won Mr. Leather 6410, I would have been in IML class 38, which I felt more of a connection with a lot of those guys because I, I was doing an extensive amount of travel, mostly because that's around the time when Jeff was Mr. International Rubber. Um, so I got to hang out with all these guys. You know, we were traveling to all these events all over the Midwest and all over the country, really, uh, in the world. Um, and I was being introduced to, you know, all, all these other people. And, and, and I was like, wow, you know, let me try for Mr. Leather 6410. And if I win, great, then I'll be able to compete with all these people that I know really well. And it won't make it so, you know, scary, I guess. And and that didn't pan out, you know, uh, it just wasn't my time. Um, and then Mr. Chicago Leather came around, which happens in January. And I was like, you know what? Maybe it was for a reason because Chicago is who I am. You know, I like I said, I'm born and raised here. Um, everything I do, I, I, you know, I just love Chicago. And I was like, let me compete for this and see what happens, you know, if I make it fine, if I don't, I don't. Um, and I did. And ever since then, I just kind of been going strong and, and, and doing everything that I did prior to my title. 
volunteering and, you know, serving the community and that kind of thing. And, you know, none of that has changed and none of it has stopped either, you know, because sometimes in the title circuit, you run into, you know, unfortunately, a number of people who talk a good game and and maybe look good and, and serve their community during their title year or don't serve their community during their title year and then disappear, you know, for whatever reason. You know, I'm kind of happy that uh, I'm still, you know, active and in, in, in giving back as much as I can. And it seems like it's really part of you, even with the title or without the title. And it makes me wonder, you have a whole resume of organizations and volunteer. It's it's like a whole page long. I couldn't even get through all of it. But... <laughs> That's the condensed version. <laughs> Not to pat myself on the back. That's like my, that's my version. Like whenever I judge contests and stuff like that, they're like, yeah, no, your original bio is way too long. You need to. Yeah. yeah. 150 words or less and your, just your volunteer list is more. Um, So what was it about the, the title? Why, why did you want to run for a title? If you knew that you were already doing these things, what, what was it to you that meant so much to winning the title? Um, more so to say that, you know, an average person like me can do it, you know, um, that I can get up there and I have body issues. Uh, I, I, I don't feel like I look good or not as good as I should look. Um, you know, and, and also I have, you know, issues with, I have like a massive overbite and I've had it since I was a kid. So it's made my jaw kind of long. And so I posted about this on Facebook the other day, uh, about that being a, returning point in my IML experience. But, um, you know, things, things about my body and that I was never comfortable with and that I would never take my shirt off in public, you know, I would never smile, you know, things like that. So kind of helped, you know, break me out of that mold. And, uh, and also, you know, bring to, you know, the people who work in behind the scenes and, you know, Hey, here's someone who has been active behind the scenes for all these years. And now he's on stage competing for this title and he wins. So I guess it was kind of more or less, Hey, even an average guy without a six pack and, and muscles can also do this. Yeah. Right. And, and, and I mean, you more than make up for it in your activism within the community. And, th- and that's very important to me. And, and, and definitely since winning the title, I mean, even to till today, I mean, if I post something on social media, I do, I've been doing a school supply drive for some of the other underserviced schools here in Chicago. And uh, I've been doing that for the last 20 years. And it wasn't until I won Mr. Chicago Leather and I started, you know, bringing that out to social media. And whenever I do that, I get hundreds and hundreds of dollars donated to me even you know i just did a a mask um i put i had some members of the community donate some masks i bought masks and i hand delivered them to some of the homeless people that live around my neighborhood along with hand sanitizer and stuff like that and even then i posted on facebook and like within 24 hours i had 300 dollars. so and and these are people just sending me money not donating to something you know, not donating to a charity, but giving me the money and entrusting that I'm going to do what's right, you know? Right. So let me ask you this. What is it about volunteering that gets you off? Because you you uh, seem to love it and not everybody is that for that. Sure. You know? Well, so I, I guess it has a lot to do with how I grew up. Um, I grew up very poor. 
my mom had me at a very young age and I, I don't know who my dad is. So uh, she had me at a very young age and there was some talk of maybe abortion on the table at that point because she didn't, she wanted to continue to live her life and not have to worry about a child. And coming from a strict Catholic background, my grandmother was Sicilian. My grandfather was Bohemian. So it was, that wasn't even on the table. So my grandparents were like, you just have have the baby, give him to us, we'll raise him, and you go and live your life and do whatever you want to do. Uh, and that's what happened. Uh, and so my grandparents raised me until I was about 12 years old. My grandparents were very poor. Uh, my grandfather, you know, my grandmother was the typical, you know, stay-at-home wife, you know, make, cleaning the house, making food, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, didn't work. Um, and my grandfather, you know, had two or three jobs in a given time. Uh, to keep the household afloat and, and to put me through Catholic school because my grandmother had this grand scheme of me being a priest. Thank God that didn't happen. Um, and but so we lived in the housing projects here in Chicago and uh, which is it's still standing uh, Lathrop Holmes housing projects here. And so <clears throat> I grew up there and we didn't have much. You know, we had hand-me-down furniture. You know, we didn't have much food. Um, so we spent a lot of time or I spent a lot of time in lines with my grandmother at food pantries, soup kitchens, you know, things of that nature, bringing food back home. And I remember the volunteers there at the time, you know, some of them, yeah, maybe not so friendly. And then some, you know, friendly with, you know, th that smile or the pat on the back or, you know, something like that, you know, that just kind of stuck with me. And um, so I often tell people, you know, what I don't have in money, I have in time. Uh, I can easily just work my eight hour a day and come home and sit in front of the TV, but that's not who I am. You know, I'd rather go out and, and even if it's three or four hours or two hours, give, give that time back. So, yeah. It so it sounds a lot like, you know, you're giving back to kind of what you benefited from as a, as a child. Right. I mean, it must mean a whole lot more to you than just kind of coming into a space that you don't really know about and just giving, but you're, you're giving to, like the city that you grew up in, the city that, you know, means so much to you, the city that you represent with your title even. Yeah. It, it, it just, it means a lot to me to, to be able to do that. And, and um, yeah. And it brings me joy. You know, I've met a lot of interesting people through doing that. Uh, it's also a great way to network. You know, I mean, at any point with all of my, my experience in, in volunteering at any point, if I ever decided that I wanted to leave my job of 19 years, you know, I could reach out to a dozen people and probably have a job quickly, you know, but, but that was all because of the connections that were made through volunteering. You know, you're not going to be able to have one-on-one -on -one time with an HR director, um, you know, in volunteering, I have that all the time. You know, when I'm uh, volunteering for different organizations, mm -hmm. I have HR directors, I have CEOs, I have, you know, an, an executive for Gilead in my car once I was volunteering for something, you know, so it's like, you know, all of these different possibilities, you know, and, uh, and I really think that means a lot too. So, so what, which, uh, what sort of organizations are you most active with? Uh, now, because I keep seeing photos of you out there <laughs> making brownies and, and serving food and doing all of these things. Well, right now, mostly because of the pandemic, food pantries, um, the Greater Chicago Food Depository. I usually go there maybe once a weekend or once every other weekend to prepare emergency food boxes that are handed out 
various food pantries, neighborhood food pantries throughout the city I'll go to as well. Um, a lot of my normal like volunteer opportunities or roles that I, I would do pre-pandemic, um, you know, were like galas, volunteering at galas and volunteering at soup kitchens and actually making the food or serving the food uh, to people, you know, all of that unfortunately mm-hmm. has stopped. But, um, but yeah, just, you know, kind of finding something that's, uh, that's available now, given the current environment, and and just and just working from there. So, how how are you handling this pandemic personally? Uh, yeah, you know, I have never really had any type of mental breakdown per se uh, that I can remember. And lately, I just feel like I've I've been getting a little bit more into my head than I usually do. And so, you know, that aspect of it, I like the structure of everyday life uh, pre-pandemic. You know, I was very structured in what I did. And and now it's just like, you know, I can't go to my office. So, you know, I basically roll out of bed and shower and come and sit in my dining room and, you know, do my job eight hours a day and then maybe volunteer at night or on the weekends or something. But there's nothing to break it up. You know, there's nothing. I can't go out and see a friend um, I can't go out to a bar that I like to hang out at, you know, every Sunday, Touche does a movie night. So, you know, I would go there and watch a movie with other people and just be around other people. And so um, I'd say that that's probably been the most difficult part for me is that it's really, I, I, I've really let it start to get to me uh-huh. mentally. And so I kind of need to start working on finding maybe a little relief for that. And, but, uh, but yeah. Yeah, I, last last week I started. I have to get back into it. Uh, but last week I started like, you know, I would have like a half hour or an hour break between violin lessons online, and I would just go run around the park across the street really quick and then come back. And that was like really nice because I'd be like, okay, I'm gonna go run at this time. Of course, like you know, I, I stopped doing it, <laughs> like any routine. But that kind of put my my head back into it into a space. But you know, lately I've been like waking up and I'm like, what day is it? What time is it? Uh, sure. What am I doing? <laughs> yeah, I've been I've been uh, going on on more walks lately. Like right before the call, um, I convinced uh, my partner to go on a walk with me, and it was just going to be a simple like thirty minute walk around the block and. And it ended up being like a two hour walk. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's, but that's great, you know, and, and I was outside and it's a beautiful day here today. Finally, it's not raining. It's not cold. Um, so it was nice to be outside and actually be sweating and, and feeling the, the sun and, and that kind of thing. So I think uh, I'm going to try to incorporate more of that. Um, and maybe even during like my lunch break during the day, you know, Monday through Friday, you know, instead of just sitting here watching the news or whatever, or not leaving and continuing to work, uh, I might just go out and walk around the neighborhood for 30 minutes or whatever the case may be. Yeah, it's, it's kind of nice. Help break it up. Yeah. So you have a partner at home. Uh, how long have you guys been together? Um, six years now, going on seven, I believe. All right. Um, yeah. And I, I'm assuming he's kinky too, because he's a, a Mr. Rubber title holder. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. Yeah. He's, he's probably a little bit more than I am. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, and, uh, but you know, he's, he's into piss play and, and some other things, whereas I haven't quite broken that mold yet. Um, it interests me, but, uh, I haven't really gotten into it yet, but, but I would say he's definitely more kinkier than I am. 
So how are you guys uh, staying kinky at a time like this? Um, well, for him, for me, it's just good old-fashioned porn and jacking off. You know, <laughs> I probably jack off like three or four times a day. But um, for him, he's gotten into this dildo uh, fascination where he, you know, he's been buying all these different sizes of dildos and, and hoping that, you know, eventually he can work himself up to this really large one that he has. So, um, but he's been trying, I mean, he's been, he's been, he's been dedicated, uh, <laughs> you know, at least trying it uh, every night or every other night. Uh, you know, he gets, he gets home from work at 10 o'clock at night and, uh, and then, you know, hope, wind down a little bit, uh, maybe have a drink or something and then go into the bathroom and, and make his little, you know, his videos for his, his Twitter. But, uh, but yeah, he's, he's slowly working himself up to be able to, to get to the point where he can take one that's probably as big as my arm <laughs> or as long as my arm anyway. Well, he, but, uh, he and I yeah. have that in common and I wonder how many bottoms right now are taking this time to like stretch out to get ready for when we all bust out of our homes again. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I can tell you the videos that I've been seeing on, on Twitter, you know, they're in, it's, it's definitely a thing right now. <laughs> so it, it's probably good for the, uh, for the manufacturers of, of dildos and things like that right now. Because uh, those are not cheap. No, they're uh, not cheap. And they're not cheap. I don't know if you saw uh, this meme come out. It was, it was like a video meme. And there's, there's this, I think he's like an Amazon deliverer or some kind of delivery man. And he, he's like, we don't need... Like we need essentials right now. We need this, this, and this. People are all out there spending their money on dildos. Dildos aren't essential. Why are we buying dildos? And he's all upset. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I disagree. <laughs> like that's honestly like as funny as it is. People buying sex toys right now is a great thing because it's me. It means that they're keeping sex alive in their own homes and not going out and, and probably looking for multiple sex partners. They're entertaining sure. themselves, you know, and that's yeah. important. Yeah, so it's yeah. I mean, there's one that he just bought recently that was like two hundred and eighty dollars or something. I was like, what? Like, save that money. We could go to Europe next year or something. Yeah. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's. Yeah. I, I right before the quarantine, I, I bought this not huge dildo, like, but for me it was like definitely a size up. And I came home and I call my my dildo Carlos. I'm like. Okay. I'm like, look at big Carlos. And my partner's like, oh my God, like <laughs> he's a total top. So he can't even like fathom having something like that inside of it. That's how I am too. I'm like, what are you doing with that? Where is that going? Right. But, uh, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, keeping keeping it alive and, 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 and staying active. I know it, the, the most recent one he just bought was a plug. Um, like you can, uh, I guess, get it in and keeps your your asshole like spread open so that you can pee into it or come into it or whatever so he's been training himself to kind of keep that in place uh me and your partner are going to be good friends someday (laughs) (laughs) it gets an a for effort that's for sure (laughs) so uh what are some of some of your kinks what do you flag any any uh hanky color codes uh yeah um I am very much into uh, eating ass. I love eating booty. Um, that's probably one of my primary ones. Daddy boy play um, also, and, and not so much in the sense of like role playing during sex, but also the true meaning of daddy. You know, it's 
providing guidance and, and, and being there for a boy. I'm grateful enough to, you know, have at least four, I think about four now that I talk to on a regular basis that don't even live in Chicago. One lives in Chicago. The other three are in different parts of the country, uh, Kentucky and some other places. And I talk to them every day. Um, I text with them every day. Um, we share photos back and forth with each other. You know, I give them instruction. Uh, you know, I want you to go do this for daddy and send me a picture. Um, you know, and, and, but most importantly, just being there and listening to them. Um, you know, some are going through breakups right now or some are, uh, you know, have lost their jobs. And so just kind of listening and giving constructive criticism and, you know, things like that, uh, guidance, you know, I, I, that's what I truly love about the daddy boy aspect of, of that kink. But I've tried my hand, no pun intended, at fisting uh, as a top. Um, and uh, I still continue to, to work on that a little bit. Well, let me ask you a question about the, being a fisting top, because um, I'm curious, have, have you ever bottomed before, like in any capacity? I have. You have. Okay. Twice, twice in my lifetime. I can tell you without a doubt. Okay. So were those experiences for you challenging? Uh, one was and one wasn't. I'd say the, the last experience was the one that kind of made me not want to try it again. Okay. Uh, and so the first experience was great. I was great feeling. This guy, you know, I had a huge dick. I was in Steamworks and I was probably in my early 20s, I think, maybe 23, 24 and I didn't know what he did, but he just put my legs up and it felt amazing. And uh, I'm like, okay, well, you know, maybe I can get into this. It kind of felt good. I don't have to do it all the time. But, uh, and then, so then my next experience was, again, another, you know, another guy who was very well endowed and didn't know how to fuck. Mm. He was just one of those rammers. It's like, boom, you know. Yeah, I'm just going to put it in. <laughs> just want to put it in, yeah. And so he did, and I, you know, jumped up out of bed, and I was, you know, in excruciating pain, you know, I had a little bit of blood for about a week or something like yeah. that. So ever since then, it kind of turned me off, but, uh, but yeah. So yeah, does that, I guess that informs your, I guess, technique coming into fisting as a top then, like full on knowing that the bottom has a pretty big job to, uh, to fulfill. Mm-hmm. So what are some, I mean, I guess you're still learning, like, what are some of the, the, the steps that you go through, I guess, either mentally or physically to, to make sure that your bottom is satisfied? Um, I, I think just having that communication and being able to read their face and to read their, their mannerisms and their reactions and things like that, you know, having that connection is important. Um, again, I, I can't really, you know, dive into it too much because I, I don't know all that much, but, uh, but for me, and, and it goes back to my, you know, my everyday life is I just really pay attention to the person that I'm having that encounter with and, and, and try to make some connection to where, okay, I can see in their face that that may not be comfortable, right? or I can see in their face that that's pleasurable, you know, so, you know, just having, you know, and not being under the influence of anything, you know, drugs or alcohol, so that you can make sure you maintain that, that proper connection, I guess. So you've been exploring fisting, you're into the daddy-son play. Um, any other kinks? Um, you know, I, I, at one point I was getting, 
I'm not sure if it's necessarily a, it's not one that you can flag anyway, but uh, I, I, I did have a few boys who were into being whored out. Um, so basically it would be my job as, as kind of the boss to find a top or someone who's willing to uh, fuck a boy uh, and sending that boy over to there and um, not only taking pictures, but also video and sending it back to me and, and sharing it with the person that they're involved with, um, you know, in that scene and, and just kind of being that intermediate, you know, it's like, Hey, I see you're a top, but you know, are you, you know, are you horny? Whatever. What, what are you looking for? You want to, oh yeah. Well, I have, I have this boy who likes for me to arrange for him to have sex with other people. And, um, here's, you know, a picture of him shared with complete, you know, uh, understanding and, and permission. Um, what would you say? Yeah, totally. You know, I'd fuck him. And, and, and then it would also be like, okay, the safety aspect, I need to know where they're going. I need to know the address. I need to know this person, you know, or at least know, you know, have their picture or something like that. I don't want to send them into a scene that, that they can get hurt potentially. So, you know, I'm not just sending them blindsided. You know, I have the address where they're going to. Uh, they're texting me when they're going in. They're texting me when they're coming out. Um, they're telling me how they feel, you know, and that kind of thing. So, um, and there's there's a lot of people who are into that. I, I actually never considered that, but now you have me. I think I have a new fetish too. <laughs> that, that's what, I guess that would be like the modern version of Hustler. Uh, yeah, like, yeah. So you could probably flag that way. Um I don't know. I guess that it comes with the connotation of like having some sort of money exchange though as well. So mm. I don't know. Um, but yeah, that sounds really hot to be like walked around the bar by your daddy and then your daddy sees someone who he thinks is horny and is like, Hey, like you want to take yeah. my boy with you? That sounds really hot. Well, I've, I've done, I've done that scene in the bar before in the bars before as well, where I I'll have a boy with me and um, you know, usually I'll be the icebreaker and, and, and fuck them and, you know, draw a crowd or whatever. And then, you know, guys start playing around with his ass or whatever. And I'll be like, fuck him. And they and they look at me like, what? I'm like, fuck him. You know, kind of like a puzzle look like, <laughs> you know, and I've also had, I've also had guys where in that same scenario, you know, I'll be like, go ahead. And then the top would ask the boy, like, are you sure it's okay? I'm like, I said, it's okay. You can do it. Right. You know, so it's like, okay, well, kudos to you for, you know, taking the taking the initiative <laughs> to make sure that the that the bottom is okay with it. But but this is know, an arrangement are, that you've made. Exactly. Exactly. And then also like it's also about keeping the bottom in the headspace too, of like, oh, I'm being like used for the pleasures of all these men. Like I don't if I was in that situation as the bottom, I just I honestly wouldn't care. I would just want it I would want to stay in that kind of scene, you know. Sure. Mm -hmm. um my god okay <laughs> uh well, that's so interesting that you say that so are you fucking at the bar mm -hmm. yeah so this is something that you can get away with more i guess in chicago than you can in, in other places yeah it's um again it's it's against ordinance to have sex and alcohol together in the same place um but um you know, thankfully, the police here kind of turn a blind eye to that and, and don't really enforce the ordinance to, um, as long as they're not getting called there all the time. 
you know, mm. you, you maintain your own, um, you take care of your problems. And if we get called here and we can continue to get called here, then that, that becomes a problem for the bar. But, but yeah, I, I know that um, in a lot of my travels across the country, you know, Minneapolis and some other places, you know, they're, they're very strict on you know, not even touching, you know, yeah, it's sort of unfortunate because I've had the experience of, of being at a bar and like we weren't doing anything that crazy. Um, like, you know, we took our dicks out and we're just kind of touching each other and looking at each other's eyes and making out. And it was just kind of a hot little scene in a dark corner. And and of course, you know, well, the business owners have to protect themselves for whatever licenses and, and, and things they have to be liable for by the law. And, you know, comes up and says, I love what's going on here. It's so hot, but can't do it out here. And I'm like, okay, like, no problem. Like I got it, but it was just kind of like a buzzkill, you know? <laughs> so um, I guess Chicago is going to be on my, my list of things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We were, we were very uh, sexually free here. Thankfully I had, uh, I was at the New York Eagle once uh, my partner and I, uh, we went there for something. I forget what it was. I don't think it was an event weekend or anything, but we had went there and this cute ginger, you know, kind of eyeing us. And we started kind of, you know, of course, coming from Chicago, you know, it's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, we could touch each other or put my hand down your pants or whatever, you know. Um, and one of the bar security came over and was like, you can't do that here. If you continue to do it, you get thrown out or whatever. And I'm like, oh, okay. No Even idea. in New York, huh? Yeah, yeah. Wow. I heard, I heard that it's kind of, died down a little bit but yeah there was one point where i guess you know the liquor commission was really coming down on the bars and saying you know you can't do anything sexually explicit or else you risk your liquor license so you know i wonder if i don't know the laws but i brought this up before in another episode but i wonder if it would be kosher to not serve alcohol on a night and have a kink fetish night where there is no alcohol being served or if their licenses are just mm -hmm. like reserved only for alcohol and and can't do anything like that but i would not be opposed to just having a kink night or a fetish night or a fuck night mm -hmm. you know that didn't involve alcohol yeah yeah, yeah. and they can serve mocktails yeah. like i don't care and I wonder how, you know, like we have a Steamworks here um, and, and I don't know how they get around that. If that's also the way that, you know, they're allowed to operate is the fact that they don't serve alcohol. So they, you know, the city obviously knows that sex happens there. But, you know, is or is it the premise that it's a men's spa? You know, yeah. I, so I how know. many yeah. bathhouses or sex clubs do you guys have around Chicago? Um, we only have one now. Um, we have Steamworks. We used to have Man's Country, uh, which was owned by Chuck Winslow, um, but that uh, was sold a while ago uh, and unfortunately demolished. And now they're putting up some fancy condos there. But uh, but yeah, just just those two. Steamworks is the only one that remains open now. I mean, there's some there are some like bathhouses, I guess, for the lack of better uh, words, that are here that don't necessarily have like. The, the sex aspect to it, um, but you can get away with it. You know, there's a place called Paradise Sauna here where you could go into a bathroom stall or find a corner somewhere and get your dick sucked, but that's not the reason they're there. That's not why they're open, like the Steamworks or something like that. So long story short, Steamworks is the only one that's actually licensed for that specific thing, as far as I know, but we do have some smaller 
run places that offer hot tubs and things like that where you can get away with getting your dick sucked or something. So. Man, it sounds like Chicago is like a really horny fucking place. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. It's definitely a city of bottoms. So, <laughs> I can see that as you're driving in. Welcome to Chicago, the city of bottoms. <laughs> city of bottoms, exactly. I kind of feel like that's every city. Though. I think people just say that. Like, they're like, oh, there's there's no tops around. Everyone's a bottom. Well, I don't know about that. I I, I think that might be just in our heads. <laughs> yeah, it's, I don't know. I, I, I definitely, you know, I could fuck every day, seven days a week if I wanted to. Not to pat myself on the back or anything. But, you know, I, there is definitely more bottom than top ratio. Okay. Sure. Well, I mean, I guess that's good for you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm assuming you guys have like a, an open relationship or some kind of polyamory. Yeah. Yeah. We've kind of, um, uh, we've been open since the, the day we met. Um, that was kind of a prerequisite. Um, not so much on my part, but on, on Jeff's part. Um, you know, he's like, hey, you're getting into a relationship with a pig. Mm. I love sex. I love cum. You know, I love being fucked by multiple people at once. So this is something that you, I'm just putting this out there. You know, there's something that you have to deal with. And if you don't, then, you know, maybe I'm not the right person for you. And so at that point, it had always been a dream of mine because I've always had monogamous relationships. And so Jeff is my first open relationship. And so for me, it was like, yes, yeah, finally, <laughs> you know, I, I found the golden ticket, you know, ever since then, you know, We've, we've tripped a few times. Um, you know, it's all a learning experience. Um, we did um, invite a third into our relationship a while back. Uh, unfortunately, that didn't work out too well. And then recently, you know, Jeff has been uh, dating someone who lives in San Francisco, actually. And so they've kind of had their relationship. Um, if he were to come and visit, you know, whenever that may be, you know, I, I obviously would be involved in that. But I'm open and, and welcoming to, you know, Jeff having an experience as long as he knows that you know, we're kind of the focal point, I guess you could say. I really love that he was upfront and honest with you from the beginning and didn't try to pretend like he was down for monogamy when he really wasn't. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes it gets in the way, you know, it's like, <laughs> like me, of course, with my, you know, the daddy hat on, it's like the laundry really has to be done, but there's two guys that want to fuck me. You know, it's like, no, the laundry has to get done first, and then you can go take. <laughs> he can care. fold. He can fold while fucking you. Yeah, while, while getting fucked. Right, exactly. You know, so you know, there's times like that where no, you know, stuff at home takes precedence, and then you go and sit on as many dicks as you want. <laughs> Hold the damn laundry. Yeah. That's so funny. Uh, so, qu question about that because I mean, my partner and I have an open relationship too, and as promiscuous as. I am. I, I don't know if I have a ton of sex partners, at least I'm comparing myself to some of my friends. And what is the, how do I ask this without being so blunt? Um, I mean, do you guys get a lot of STDs? <laughs> like, Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, you know, there's some risk there, you know, um, and, uh, mm -hmm. And and we're very open about it, you know, especially with with part the partners that uh, we have or share or, you know, like I'll I'll message someone and say, hey, went to Howard Brown with you know the other day and I tested positive for gonorrhea. You may want to go get checked out. And it's usually almost always silence, or you know the other person is like, you know, you can kind of 
feel through their text message that they're hesitant. Hesitant. Yeah. And it's like, and very seldom do I get, you know, uh, someone that I've had a a sexual encounter with say, Oh, well, thank you for letting me know. Thank you for being so, you know, or on the reverse end of that, I've gotten messages from boys that I've fucked before that say, Hey daddy, you may want to go get tested because I tested positive for, you know, X, Y, and Z. And I'll be like, okay, that's great. Do you need anything? Do you need, you know, are you okay? And I'm like, wait, what? And I'm like, well, yeah, it's whatever, you know, I'm sticking my dick in you without a condom on. So I have to understand that there's a possibility that I might walk away with something, right. you know, and, and, and being open about that and, and being willing to, uh, you know, tell the other party uh, and to go get tested without shame, you know, that's, that's important. And so it, it's always fun to get kind of that feedback on the reverse end. It's like, you're not mad at me. No, go get tested. 14 days later, come back and look fuck again. Cause you had, a, you, know, <laughs> you felt awesome or whatever, you know, it's like, this is not, this is not the end, you know, it's not, I'm not mad at you. I don't ever right. want to see you again. You know, it's like, go get tested, do your thing. Cause that could happen to anybody. And, and, and I love the openness and the honesty, because if you're going to be open and honest with sex, then that means like the good, the bad and the ugly. You know, mm-hmm. so when, when those things do happen to just have that openness, I think that that really takes away a lot of the shame and the stigma. Um, have you ever had it where the guy responds back and says, which one is it? And you say like gonorrhea and he's like, that's okay. Like I'll still come over. <laughs> uh, no. And, and I, and I try to, you know, be responsible. Sometimes I let it get to me, especially if I'm like, if it's like back to back to back, you know, and there has been times where it has been and I'm like, God. I can't take another shot in my ass. Or whatever, you know, whatever. I know those are heavy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, but, uh, but yeah, yeah. I I don't know where I, I don't know where I stand on on that because I did have a couple times out here in LA where I was like, um, it's like oh, like you know, I've got something. And one of the times I was lying because I just didn't, I just really didn't want to go out that night. It, it came down to the day, and I was just like not in the mood. And I was like, oh, I, I tested positive for blah blah blah, and. Um, he was like, that's okay. Like, I'll come over. <laughs> I'm like, what? Oh, okay. <laughs> well, it's, you know, I respect that and all, but that's, let me, let me refer to get treated or let, let it work its course and then, and then let's revisit, you know? Right. I agree. I agree. And the, the least, the, the less I can have a shot in my ass, the better. Right. Yep. And, and, and it kind of helps too, like, you know, finding a, a doctor uh, that you can talk openly to. You know, that's important. You know, thankfully we have, uh, Jeff and I um, both have the same doctor and believe it or not, so does Jeff's dad (laughs) goes to see the same doctor, you know, and has been for, you know, 30 years. You know, he was one of the pioneers for HIV, AIDS, uh, one of the first doctors that really wanted to treat people uh, when that came around and, and he's won, you know, numerous awards and, and things of that nature. And so we're very lucky that, you know, he's still practicing and, and not retired, but, you know, you go in to see him and he's like, Hey, slut. But, you know, you, to, you know, he's probably in his, you know, sixties or seventies, I think. And he's like, how many men since the last time you were here? You know, Oh, probably like 20. He's like, damn you kids. Like I would love, I would love to be able to do that again. You know? <laughs> but having having that open dialogue, you know, uh, with your with your um, doctor is is very important. 
Absolutely. And even if he's not not so nonchalant about it, uh, like, I think it's so important to have that gay or straight or, or whatever that the doctor's just open. Because I remember my, I don't know if it was the first or second time that I had sex, but I had never gotten tested. So I was like worried. And I went to my doctor that I, you know, known my whole life. And he was, I think he was, I don't know if he was like Mormon or I don't know. He was some kind of, he was just very like strictly religious, I remember, because we knew him. It was a small town that I grew up in. And when he asked me all of those questions and, you know, what did you do and what kind of partners have you had? And I'm like, men. And he just like kind of looked up at me and I'm like, oh, God, like I'm shivering inside. Uh (laughs) You could totally tell he was like judging you. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> right. And then, you know, I moved to LA and I, I had a doctor for a while in Beverly Hills and it was so funny. He was like, so what happened? And, and I told him, he's like, Ooh, did you have fun? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> it definitely makes the world a difference, you know? Yeah, definitely. And just to take that shame out of it. Um, so let's go back to a, a little bit more of your, your leather life. Um, you have the title of Mr. Chicago leather 2017. And so we already know that you've had like this sort of background in volunteer life. What was your platform or your mission at the time when you were competing for the title? And has that changed or evolved? Um, No, I'd say it's probably still the same, you know, volunteering as a way of being a social activist, I guess. Mm -hmm. A lot of times the people who contribute a lot of their time in the background, you know, never get the spotlight, so to speak. And so, you know, being able to bring the people who normally fall into the shadows, but do all the work and don't get any of little to none of the the spotlight, I guess, was kind of my thing, like bringing that front and forward, you know. Yeah, but like there's important things going on behind the scenes that you don't see. And those people can now see themselves on, on stage. Sure. Yeah. And I, I mean, IML is a prime example. Uh, regional contests, small city contests, prime examples. You know, those things just don't happen. You know, there's right. a huge uh, amount of work that goes into it. And 99% of the people that are involved in that aren't paid. And so, and, and you never, you would never know that you know, unless you paid attention or unless it was kind of put in your face, you know? So I think people just kind of assume that things happen, you know, that they just kind of magically appear <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 and then don't think anything of it, but, you know, no, there's this huge team of people in the background, you know, um, that are doing it because it's their passion and because, you know, and they're not getting paid for it, you know? So. Right. Right. So I know that, um, I know IML is supposed to happen later this year. What is Chicago's plan right now to start opening up again? And what are some of the, um, what do you think your path is going to be as Chicago begins to open up again personally? Yeah, you know, I, it's hard because uh, thankfully we have a a democratic governor and a democratic um, mayor. Um, The governor, I think the last week they've kind of, butting heads a little bit with the mayor, Mm -hmm. (laughs) whereas the state of Illinois has, you know, this five phase plan of reopening. And, you know, just recently, some of the Republicans and some of the surrounding suburbs have started suing the state of Illinois. uh, And, and so now I feel like he's changing his mind quickly, Mm -hmm. the governor. And so he's moving these phases quicker than than he probably originally wanted to, because now he's receiving all this backlash. But then you, you know, you, you had the mayor who said, 
or excuse me, the, the governor who just recently said, oh, well, I'm going to allow the restaurants to open on the 29th, but only outdoor seating, six feet apart, blah, 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 blah. And then the mayor of Chicago stepped in and said, uh, uh, uh. That, that could be other places in Illinois, but that ain't going to happen mm. in Chicago because I don't think we're ready. And so now they're kind of starting to butt heads. So long story short, you know, the state of Illinois conventions and things like that where IML would fit into. And then again, this is just my personal opinion. I can't, you know, I can't say, um, you know, whether or not it will happen or not. But, you know, phase five is when they'll reopen uh, for conventions and things like that. And that's only if we have a, a treatment or a vaccine. Mm. I know that they're still working on that. There are some possibilities out there that are being floated around, you know, as far as treatments or vaccines, but nothing concrete yet. And will we have anything concrete by September? I don't think so. But, you know, let's hope for the best. You know, I, I really would love to be able to see a lot of my friends from all over the world. But then, you know, this was also something that was, there was just recently an IML 42 Zoom chat that was hosted by the archives their archives museum yesterday and some of the international contestants were like you know i don't even i can't even get a visa to travel right now oh, so you know kind that. of yeah so it's you know definitely gonna if, if if it does happen in september it may end up alienating some of the title holders from other parts of the world who can't come here only because their government won't allow them right now um especially with the u.s being the hotbed of covid cases you know I could see some of these countries being like, no, we're not sending you, you know, allowing you to go into a hot zone to potentially bring something back, you know? I mean, can we have like a, a virtual contest? <laughs> I mean, you know, that, that may not be a bad idea, but again, you know, this a lot of money is raised through IML. Um, and a lot of that money is used to not only ensure that IML continues to happen year, year to year, but also you know, as a funding source to the other archives and museum. So, you know, there's there's a lot of things that, you know, rely on the money that's brought in. So as well as the local economy too. I mean, at one point I wanna say IML was probably in, in like the top five of conventions in Chicago at one point. I don't know if it mm-hmm. still is, but I think I heard that at one point where, you know, there's just so many people that come into Chicago for the city embraced it. You know, they would send representatives. I think the mayor's chief of staff one year came out and, and you know, addressed us on stage. And, you know, so they're very welcoming and they, and they know that we bring a shit ton of money into the city. Wow. That's, um, it's very eye-opening. I, you know, maybe that's part of the reason why the police turn a blind eye. They're like, these guys bring us a ton of money every year. <laughs> and, yeah. and, you know, they've been here for, it's almost just like those those bars and those traditions, it's all part of a legacy and a history and just like squash that because of some kind of outdated policy, you know, about sex. And I say outdated because, you know, I, I think people should be responsible for their own health and the city doesn't necessarily need to make decisions for other people's sex lives and how they choose to do things. On the other hand, I understand you, you don't want alcohol and sex in the same vicinity because you want people to be in their clear headspace when they're making those decisions as well. So I guess it's a balance, but it's really awesome that the mayor and, you know, leaders are, of the city are coming in and kind of being a part of that. Yeah, I mean, they're and they're very, they're very, you know, the city has always been very welcoming to IML and, you know, sending, you know, the Department of Public Health out to, you know, provide education and, and condoms and lube and all that other stuff. So, yeah. 
So I usually, I, I like to ask this question to almost every guest if they haven't touched on it already before. What would you say to someone who is just listening to your podcast episode right now and maybe is just discovering for the first time that there is such a thing as, as leather and now they're interested, now they're intrigued, now they want to get involved uh, and they don't know how to do that. What would you say to that person? I would say, you know, go and, and just jump right in. And, and I'm not saying jump right in and, and stick your hand up someone's butt or something like that. You know, right. Go and experience it. You know, go into Touche, go into Cell Block. That, that's what I did, you know, when I was 21. And even at one point I went into uh, the Eagle when we, we had our Chicago Eagle open. You know, I went in there and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go in. I'm going to experience it and see if this is if this is what I want to do, you know, if this is what I, I want to continue to, to learn more. So I'd say just, just jump right in and go, go experience a bar. You know, you don't have to have, you know, any gear to get, you know, into the front end of the bars um, or reach out to someone within the community. I've had a ton of people reach out to me um, on Grinder or on Scruff or on Twitter, even on Instagram, you know, and say, Hey, you know, I've, kind of been asking around the community. I'm really interested in getting to know more about leather or fetishes and things like that. And people told me you're the person to ask, you know, um, reach out to the local title holder um, in your area or a community member that you see uh, that's out there front and center all the time, you know, chances are they're welcoming and that they'll give you the answers that you're looking for. But yeah, I mean, just, just walk into the bar. Yeah. You know, yeah. Even, even if you have to, you know, just, hang out on the side or in a corner, you know, just stand there and take it all in and get a feel for the people that are there and then maybe move on to the next step, reach out to someone. You know, I've, I've had numerous times where people have reached out to me. I'm like, you want to go to Touche on Saturday night? Let's go. I'll go with you. I don't know who you are, but let's go. We can go, we can chat. I can introduce you to people that I know. And there's at least four or five people that I, I can think off the top of my head that I did that for and uh, are still there. And, and their circle of friends have grown. They're, you know, being comfortable with it, expressing their kinks has grown. So I think it's just as simple as reaching out. That's that's really great advice. Uh, how, how can we get um, involved? Are there any organizations that you're a part of that we should be aware of right now? Yeah. Um, you know, like I said, the, the, the Chicago Food Depository and things of that nature, there's a lot of resources online. I'd be more than willing to connect uh, people as well. Um, the Leather Archives and Museum is always looking for volunteers uh, for different uh, special events that are hosted there. The Leather Heart Foundation is a national organization that, you know, uh, receives donations and, and, and in turn gives that money back to community members who may be experiencing rough times, either through, you know, help with rent or cell phone bills or things of that nature. And they're always looking for volunteers or people to help them raise money to be able to help others in need. Uh, the the uh, Carter Johnson Library, I know also here in Chicago specifically, there's another place that's often forgotten about. Um, it's the Gerber Hart Library. It is in, uh, Gerber Hart Archives and Library. It's one of the largest in the Midwest, and they have a lot of queer-centered books and art and things of that nature. A lot of people don't know about them, but they're always looking for volunteers and also a lot of help with uh, donations and, and things of that nature. So there's definitely a lot out there, especially when you live in a big city like Chicago or LA or whatever. You know, I, I often tell people, I 
I could volunteer 365 days a year if I wanted to. You just have to know where to look. You just have to have the mental fortitude, I guess, to to continue looking. And yeah, I've I've hit roadblocks before. I've reached out to companies or not to companies, but to organizations that you know that I wanted to volunteer for, and then gotten pushback. You know, because there's a group here in Chicago called the Chicago of Other Community Outreach that I used to be kind of the director of, so to speak, which was just finding volunteer opportunities for people in, in the community here to, to go out and, and volunteer and, and to do things that weren't alcohol or bar related. And there were some organizations where I reached out to and said, hey, my name is Gerald Cernak. I am, you know, so-and-so, the Chicago Other Community Outreach. We're a group of volunteers that like to come out and, and help you no response, no response, you know, or, and, and I'll throw them out there, but the, 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 the Special Olympics of Illinois did this to us. You know, um, I reached out to them and I said, hey, you know, we have this group of people. We want to come out and help you with the, the, um, with the Special Olympics. And then all of a sudden, like two weeks before the polar plunge was supposed to happen where we, people jump into Lake Michigan in the middle of winter for fundraising, um, we were supposed to go out and help with that. And then it was a series of calls you know, from the organization. And what is your group about again? What's the name of your group? You know, and, and so it was just really, uh, you know, so things like that, you know, so but, you know, there, there, there'll there be some places that want your help. And or there'll be a lot of places that want your help. But then there's a very few places that don't want your help, because for whatever reason. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how can we reach out to you if and get connected with you if, if we wanted to? Do you have a Facebook or Instagram? Yeah. Yeah, um, definitely uh, uh, Gerald Cernak, C-E-R-N-A-K on uh, Facebook, G Cernak, C-E-R-N-A-K at gmail.com. Um, I am also on Twitter, Shy Daddy Seed <laughs> um, is my Twitter handle, uh, C-H-I Daddy S-E-E-D. Um, also on uh, Instagram, MCL underscore 17. Um, so yeah, I'm on a lot of it. And, uh, I, and I do usually respond to everyone. So. Awesome. And I'll, I'll make sure to put some of those links in the description below. Uh, it was really, really awesome talking with you, Daddy G. And uh, is there any last statements you'd like to make before we close out here? No, I think uh, well, one of the important things is, is just, you know, stick with it. Um, you know, uh, you, you don't need to be front and center but uh, having the passion and, uh, and, and continuing to serve your community is, is important and, and volunteering. You don't have to do it every day of the week. Uh, maybe do it once a month or every other month, but uh, you know, get out there and, and be more active. Awesome. Well, before we go, I'd like to remind all of you that in the midst of COVID-19, there are several organizations here in the Los Angeles leather community that are here to help. The LELC Cares, Bullet Bar Pantry, and the LA Leather COVID-19 Assist. If you or anyone you know is in need of assistance, please reach out. I will have links in the description below. As always, you can find me on Instagram and Patreon as Leather Talk Mr. Bullet and Facebook as Brandon Bullet. Uh, Daddy G, thank you so much again for coming on the show. And uh, would you mind closing us out? Most definitely. Thank you for the opportunity. Everyone stay safe, stay healthy. And most importantly, stay kinky. Okay.